0: This is Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. It says in your uh, deal 1 through 5, but we're doing 1 through 6. And this is a real change in Ephesians because we're no longer talking about doctrine, but we're talking about behavior. And uh, the the last three chapters. And so, uh, chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. And this is out of the International. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life Worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. And Father of all, who's over all and through all and all. But to each one of us, gr- no, excuse me. <laughs> That's good.
1: Thank you very much. Uh, well, I've been excited about this message uh, all week. We uh, had a base, Levi's last baseball game um, was, was it Thursday night? Can't keep track of all the nights. I think it was on Thursday night. And uh, we had quite an experience there, and it, felt, it fit so well with this passage in Ephesians that the Lord is kind of like, here's your gift, Pastor Pete, for all your similar illustrations you're going to need, uh, just behold what is about to happen. And so I'm, I'm really going to share uh, the story of that game, and then I'm going to make a few um, suggestions of how it might go along with this passage. So we're talking about the Bible and baseball this morning. Is that Okay. I'm not sure I can get any better than that. With a Pollock to follow, it feels pretty good to me. Um, so we had Levi's last game. We, we had played this team uh, once before earlier in the season, and we got to the field at Fort Vancouver, and there was no umpire, and it was, the game was like 25 minutes late, and we just, we just kind of ran through it and, and didn't really, it wasn't really anything of an account except for their starting pitcher through, like Levi, just through wildfire. And we had a really hard time, and, and they beat us that game. So we came to Thursday night, and the guys were a little bit ups, concerned that this guy was just going to throw everything by him. But I'm really proud of them. They, they hung in there. They got some hits. They got some walks. And uh, and things, um, as far as the score well went well. Um, but shortly into the game, it became apparent to me that the uh, the manager for the other team had some issues. Have you ever been to a baseball game where there was this one person who just you know, it's just like, wow, uh, this was that way. And uh, I don't think I ever did get his name, um, but he started um, getting a little out of control. And uh, we, uh, afterward, we eventually had to call the umpire over because it was just so bad. And someone asked me afterwards, there was another pastor there that I knew who was, kid was on the other team. And he was like, what happened? How did that all start? And I was like, well, pastor, it's kind of like in church some little thing gets said, it doesn't get translated right. And before long, it's this big bomb has gone off. And, and so what happened was, is our catcher, Levi was pitching, Keenan was catching. And whenever the other team would get a walk or a hit or get struck out if they dropped their bat, our own catcher would pick up the other team's bat and hand it to them. And our manager said, Keenan, don't worry about the other team's bats. That's their job to get their bats. You worry about you. Well, this hothead coach translated, you ignore the other team's bats. He took it to mean they can't hit or squat. You don't even even recognize that they're up there. Just pretend they're not even there. And he went off. He went off. He started. He was at the third baseline. Um, I was there with our manager right by our dugout, right in front of him. And he just started going crazy. He was cursing. He was um, saying that we were doing the cursing, which wasn't true. He was saying that we were talking bad about his players. And he, it just the the more he talked, the worse that it got. And I, I know that I'm preaching on this passage, right? So it's like that Holy Spirit saying, if you're going to get up there on Sunday, then you better do this right. Hopefully I'd have done it right, regardless of whether I was preaching about it or not on Sunday. I was like, wow, this, obviously he, feels one way. Um, The truth seems very apparent that it's something else besides what he's seen. How can we get him down from his high rafters? And so I I tried to talk to him. I tried to say, maybe maybe you just take a walk and come back a minute. It's like, I belong here. This is my spot, you know, not willing to move any ground. And so I did. The only thing I knew to do is I called the umpire over. I need an outside meteor to come over. And that just made it even worse. I mean, the, the more that we tried to bring intervention, the worse it got. And and the, the, what was supposed to be a beautiful, sunny evening of baseball was quickly turning into an emotional disaster between the manager of the opposing team, and and I don't think our manager handled it as well as he could have. Um, but it, it what was supposed to be a beautiful experience for these boys in the last game of the season, Felt like it was just falling off the rails in every way possible. And I thought about some church experiences that I've had where we're supposed to be together and meet in the presence of God and enjoy family and fellowship and communion and relationships together and then one conversation, maybe even one misunderstanding and someone goes off the rails and what was supposed to be beautiful and holy and sacred and moving and beneficial for us became a thorn in the flesh, if you will. Became such a feeling of emotion that you don't talk to that person. You won't go to that side of the church. We won't be around them anymore because we let the heat of the moment kind of take over. And so as I weave this story into this passage, there are four things that I saw in in this passage of Scripture that I also saw in Our experience on the baseball diamond that day. And the first one you'll see on the screen is that we need to have a healthy self-awareness. A healthy self-now, some of us are very aware of ourselves. Like this manager, he was he was the man and his team was the team. And no one was gonna tell him any different. And the quieter you tried to talk to him, the louder he got, the more you tried to reason with him, the more unreasonable he became. And it was interesting to me, after the game was over, the pastor guy emailed me. He's like, I'm so sorry. We see this all the time. And even as being on his side, if we try to intervene, it only makes things worse. He is inapproachable in any and every way. And I hope that doesn't define who we are as believers, that that we can be approachable, that, that you can come to me and say, hey, pastor, sermons on baseball really bore me. Never do that again. Or whatever it is, you know, you know, Maybe I wear shorts next Sunday and that scares the bejeebers out of you. You can come and confess those kinds of things and we can have a dialogue about it, but a healthy self-awareness is a healthy recognition of who we are and where we are. And did you see Paul's awareness in in that chapter? He didn't say Paul, the scholarly one. He didn't say Paul, the one delivered from the worst kind of sin and now I'm somebody. He didn't say Paul in Rome, man, I'm doing this for the church he said, Paul, a prisoner of the Lord. And I love his healthy positional awareness of who he is in Jesus. You know, I, I thought about this week, you know, we've been talking a lot about who we are in Christ, and it's been positive things, right? We're loved. We're saved. We're redeemed. We're adopted. We're welcomed. We're gifted. We're blessed. God hears us. He's there for us. We are So blessed to be his children and you ever met someone who knew they were blessed and wanted everyone else to know what a blessing they were too (laughs) it was like they were god's gift to the church and and unfortunately i think sometimes pastors can struggle with that and i hope that the lord helps me with that but he basically said i am at the bottom of the barrel here i'm here for jesus And it was the opposite on the baseball diamond on Thursday night. Everybody knew who this guy was. Everybody knew how he felt. Everybody knew his opinion, knew that he really couldn't control how he shared his opinion. The kids thought it was funny. I didn't really notice it because I was so wrapped up in trying to bring this under control. But Levi said the boys were snickering at the whole thing. They thought it was hilarious. And I'm thankful that it wasn't more negatively received on their part because I'm still talking about it. It was rough. It was hard. And, be, and it was because this guy thought he was a somebody. And Paul does not give that to us, does he? He's a nobody in a sense. He's a prisoner. He's shackled up. He's locked away because of what he's done. He's like, I am simply here to be a servant to others. And we think about unity in the body of Christ. If we, if we come upon the scene because we're in charge of a ministry and we're, we're somebody. Or we're the pastor and so we're somebody. Or we've been in this church for 45 years and we know it all. We've seen it all. We're, we're somebody. I think that it's more than likely that at some point in our interactions, there's gonna be conflict, Right? Because we're unapproachable. Or if people do approach us, we inflict pain, damage, confusion, heartache. But if we realize that we're simply here to be servants of God, then it's all about me or all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And Paul sets the heart right. He sets the self-awareness and perspective that I'm not here because other people need to know how important it is that I'm here. I'm here because of Jesus and no other reason. But that so we have to have in order to have a healthy church, a unified church, we need to have a healthy self-awareness of who we are in Jesus. So I want to ask you after all these weeks, who are you in Jesus? I was reading an article this week about about how people self-identify on Sunday morning. Yeah, if they're there. And we about half of the church. Um, I'm just here because I have to show up every once in a while on Sunday. Some people come to church on Sunday because they've always been coming to church on Sunday and it's just what they do. And if they don't come the way they've always done it, then their friends who also have always done it will call them on the phone and say, hey, why weren't you there? You need to be there. Some people come to church on Sunday because they need something from God or from the church. And, and and that's not a bad thing. They come because they're broken. They come because they're hurting. They come because they, they believe in their hearts that there's something they can get from, from the body of Christ and from experience the presence of God that they will find no other way. And I love that approach. There's no promotion of self in that. There's no attitude of, I'm better than everyone, or at least I'm, you know, this is the, I've come to be who I am in this place, and, I, and I, I hope that First Friends is known as a place where you and I just come as we are. It's what drew me to Friends in Ohio a number of years ago. I had a denominational leader in a, in a group that I won't name who pulled up to um, the church that we pastor that had just, um, at least for the main worship center, burned to the ground. It was toast. And he pulled up in his SUV with the running boards that move out. You know, just, you know, it was like the Cadillac of SUVs. And and he had a gold watch on. And and it was just this feeling that somebody stepped out of the $85,000 SUV that he got from serving the Lord. And quickly began to say to our people, you need to leave. You shouldn't be here. You don't need to be on the property right now. You don't belong here, but I do. I wish we could have found a way to heal those wounds, but what happened shortly there is the congregation asked to have a meeting with me, kind of the leadership team there, and they said, um, we really love you, we feel like we can connect with you, but that that somebody up there is just not gonna work for us. And there are a lot of other things I could tell you. They wanted to relocate the church. They they didn't want to rebuild in this area. It was a one-stop sign, small spot with a church literally across the street, like 50 yards away, that had been there for 125 years. Everyone in the town had been married or buried there or had their kids dedicated there. They wanted to move three and a half miles away to an upcoming developing area in order to kind of renew who they were. And the nomination leader didn't ask any questions. He didn't say, I would pray about it. He didn't say, let's pray about it. He said, no, it's not even a discussion. Just unapproachable. And the congregation came to me and said, we don't think we can go forward with this. Here's a severance package for a year and a half, um, retirement, health insurance, salary. Um, We're gonna just let him handle this himself since it's up to him. And they, they did, they literally walked away from the building that was left um, and they're still close close friends even to this day. But somebody who said they were somebody and reflected that image drove them away from the church. And I can think of multiple people that I've met in my life who just who came across as a as somebody in such a negative way that it brought disunity, It brought dysfunction, it even destroys the church. And so I wonder when we come together if it might be good for us to remind ourselves, even for me, you know, I, I've got I've to um, help get things ready for the service to start. I've got to make sure my message is ready and anything for the meeting to follow. And so I'm doing all the pastorly things, right? And sometimes it can be really easy to get busy, and one of you needs to talk with me. And I'm sure it's probably happened, even though I didn't intend it to, where pastor was so busy doing his pastor thing that I didn't have time for the thing that you needed to share with me. I've even had people call me out on it here and say, You ignored me. That hurt my feelings. Maybe they didn't even come for a few Sundays. Because I was too busy doing something or being a somebody in order to be recognized recognize the needs of those around me. And maybe that's a good place for us to start. When we come together in any way, whether it's a pollock or Sunday morning or whatever, is Is it more about me than anyone else? Or is it more about him and those around me than it is anyone else? A healthy self-awareness of how we view ourselves when we come into God's presence. We come into worship together is really important. This coach on the baseball field was not aware of anything except his opinion, his idea, his view, the way he saw it, and he literally ran over anyone in his way. And sadly, that happens in the church, too, because we're not aware of who we are in Christ. Many times in the Bible, it says we're his slaves, we're his servants, we're his prisoners. We are captivated, the Bible says, by Christ. And he is everything to us, and we are everything to him. And we focus on that, and I think he can handle the rest. So, also, there needs to be, and we're going to do this one quickly, a healthy self awareness. It says, Not only am I a prisoner of the Lord, but I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Jesus has called you to salvation, He's called you to Himself, He's called you to put your faith in the Son of God, the man born by the will of God to bring salvation to all mankind. And there's a purity that's required in that relationship that many times we just circumvent by our own desires, opinions, ideas, struggles. But Paul says, I urge you to, in a sense, live up to the calling that God has provided for you. And that, that, that's different for all of us. God hasn't called any one of you to be up here doing what I'm doing, at least that I'm aware of. And he hasn't called me to do any of the things that he's called you to do. We all have a different journey to go in. But if I'm the kind of pastor that, that causes division wherever I go, and I talk down to people every time I have a conversation with you, especially if I don't agree with you, and every time we have a conversation, I leave you feeling like your opinion doesn't matter. Am I living up to the calling that God has placed in my life? Am I loving you? Am I serving you? Am I, am I understanding you? Am I dwelling in the realm of your life and your experiences? Or am I'm expecting you to meet all of the expectations that I have for you and I probably don't even understand a whole lot about you anyways. And many, many times we treat each other like that. We get an idea of who we think someone else should be, and unless they live up to our version and our view of who we think they should be, then we don't treat them with the kind of respect and love that they really deserve just as they are. So this coach came on the field the other night, very much aware that he was in charge very much aware that he was the man, very much aware that whatever in his mind said would go. But the problem was there was about 90 other people in attendance, whether players on the field or parents in the stands or observers around them. And for this guy, he really did think he was right. He thought he heard our our manager say, don't look, don't even worry about their bats. None of them can hit. They're a junk team. He even used worse words than that and accused us of saying those things which weren't true. And away he went. What he was trying to do in his mind, I think was to stand up for his team. We have good hitters. We're a good team. You know, we don't want anyone to talk bad about us, but he was, he was unaware of the third thing that was going on around him is the awareness of what, he was doing affected the community. we go to number three, we need to have a healthy community, communal awareness. What was really obvious in that moment was this manager was so focused on his little prism is that he had no idea what was going on around him. The pastor friend who messaged me later said that his wife texted me in the stands about every kind of eye roll emoji that you could think of. If you're on a cell phone, she was like, oh, here he goes again. Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry for the parents of this other team. I hope the kids on the other team are going to be okay after listening to this. And he was completely unaware of the scene that he was making that night. And I tried to say to him, I was like, coach, I'm sorry that you felt like something was said that was derogatory. There was no intention to do that. Uh, There's 18 kids out here who are listening to every word that you say, can we just, can we let this go for now? And he's like, I'm the manager, and I know what I heard, and we're going to get to the bottom of this, and you shouldn't be like this, and this shouldn't be happening, and he just, every calmer attempt at reason just led to more anger on his part. And so, uh, I don't know, have you ever called a mediator in? You tried to work with somebody, tried to figure something out, whether Maybe you're on the end of just being concerned and frustrated, or you're on the end of, oh my gosh, what's happening here? I was like, help, somebody help, <laughs> and and that's not a bad thing. I had tried, you know, I was hoping as maybe my, some of my pastoral skills would would help, kind of uh, at least slow things down, but it only made it worse. So I was like, okay, I don't lack the authority. I lack the authority here to to have anything else. Uh, good transpire. So I was like, hey, we, we, um, if you're on the field and you're a manager, you don't call the umpire umpire. You go, hey, Blue. And so I said, hey, Blue, we need you over here. And he comes under us over there. And, and that only made it worse. I mean, you bring someone into a place of authority who has no awareness of who they are, except that they are who they are, who has no awareness of their own heart and their own attitudes who doesn't realize what's happening to the community around them because of what's going on. We had a guy in our first our, our first church in Ohio. He was the janitor. He was kind of like what Mike does here. He would unlock the doors in the morning and and be the last one out to lock them when he was done. And he was very committed to um, doing things in the church. Um, but at, the longer I was there, the more I realized that there were some other some. Some, some attitudes and behaviors that he developed because of all the work that he did. Now, I want to get this out of the way now. Mike was the last one to leave the workday yesterday. I told him, we're, we're wrapping up, we're, we're, gonna, we're cleaning up and we're gonna be done. And Mike's like, I got to finish what I'm doing. I'll put everything away. I just want to finish what I've started. And, and I'm not making any reference other than Mike except to draw some kind of comparison between their dedication to the church. Mike didn't say, oh, if everyone else is leaving, I'm leaving. He's like, I really, this is important to me to finish this. I'm going to stay until it's done, and then I'll leave. Don't worry about it. I'll be fine. But the guy at our first church had, he wanted to let everybody know how late he stayed every time he stayed over. So the next Sunday morning, he would say maybe to a group of people or whatever, yeah, I was here till 1245 because someone didn't put away their trash in the bathroom. And, and he let everybody know all of his woes. And I was like, you know, if you're going to serve, Can you just do it silently? (laughs) I don't think when Paul mentioned at the beginning of this chapter anywhere else, when he he talks about his position, it's more of a reminder for the church that we're to be in submission to Jesus. Not, oh, look at this holier-than-thou servant who's doing so much for God. That's not who Paul was. But for the gentleman in our church, that's the kind of person that he became. He wanted everyone to know who he was and how he affected things. And so he ran people off, especially new people. We had um, an event where we had some teenagers come, and we had a place in the back of the fellowship hall. Um, It was really big for that church to recycle any pop cans. So you had, uh, and there was a door out the back, straight out the back of the fellowship hall, and on the right-hand side was the aluminum recycle cans, and on the left side of the exit was regular trash, And you know, people haven't been here before. I think maybe one of the signs had fallen off the wall for the recycling. And so this poor, innocent, visiting teenager walked over to the recycling can and put her paper plate into the aluminum recycling can. And from across the sanctuary, immediately was like, stop, you can't put that in there. That doesn't go there. What are you doing? And they spun around, realized they were talking to them, walked out the door, got in their car, and told me later they would never go to church again. Now, it would have been great for them to put the paper plate in the right trash can, but do we fillet people because they don't meet our expectations? Because they don't do things the way we've been used to having them done? Maybe our opinion of what is true is is true. Maybe it's not. But we forget our position as, as followers of Jesus, of as lovers of Christ, and as people called to be there for each other. And I've loved what I've seen at First Friends, and can you believe it's been almost four years? August, end of August, it'll be four years already. How many times I've seen you as a church come around people who, who feel empty inside, who are hurting, who, who are desperate, who don't have the answers, and, and, and you don't come to them as like, yeah, I'm gonna pray for you, and God's gonna do something for you. I probably would have tackled you before you got to him, no. There just is a pure love, a selfless devotion to those around us. We're aware of who we are. We're not anybody without Jesus. I'm no one without him, amen? You're no one without him too, just so you know. We all are desperate for his help, desperate for his spirit. That's why Pentecost Sunday is such a treasure of remembrance for the church To be reminded that Jesus left us, but not alone. For the Spirit to come to fill us in his fullness. A spiritual awareness that when we have conflict in our life, are we acting in a way that reflects Jesus? You were hoping I wasn't gonna say that, weren't you? (laughs) So I'm out there on the field with this guy who's just blowing his top, and I'm worried about um, our coach, our manager for our team is getting a little heated, and I'm worried how it is affecting the kids, and I can hear our parents over in the stands getting more and more animated. And I'm the one who I feel like in this moment is called to be some sense of reason. And all I can feel is the blood just boiling higher and higher, closer to my ears, and it's about ready to come up. And I remember saying, you just need to stop. And I said it just like that, and his reaction was, who are you to tell me what to do? And God said, now, oh, this is how he said to me, he's like, you need to shut up now. And that's when I called for the referee to come over. I, I was trying to do, I, I could tell that desire to become the fixer, become the person who rescued everyone from this crazy referee um, was creeping up into my heart. And God says, just shut up, get someone who um, can help us and eventually figured it out. So as I thought about this idea of, of how we, you know, we mess up, don't we? We have days like the other night at the ball field. We have moments with our spouse where we just, we, we think we're right. And guys, you're wrong. Let me tell you right now, you just are. But we don't seem to get that. And so every time a new conversation comes, we, we forget all over again how wrong we really are. That's good preaching right there, I'll tell you. I thought all the ladies would say amen to that, but I don't. That's right, you're not somebody, you're listening, that's good, very good. But I thought about how there's times of misunderstanding or conflict, and everyone's been in it. If you've been in the church long enough, it's happened to you. There's been that conversation, there's been that discussion, and you may have figured it out right there and 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 cried some tears and said, I'm sorry, and moved on. It may be it was a week or a month. It may it still be there. Where in some place, your own humanity, your own somebodiness, your own lack of awareness caused that kind of separation, and it, and it, it just kind of hanging in the air. So finally, this guy says, all right, I'm gonna go back. I, I'm, I'm okay now. But he, But you could tell that it wasn't over it was just like all right he's calm down for now so he went back to third base the runner went everyone back to their positions and we started again and 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 i think our team batted we got out pretty quick and or no their team finished batting and then we were up so i went over to the opposite side of the field to be first base coach so i'm right over by their by their dugout by their by their fans and i'm over there and i hear the the fans on the bench what sounds like really nasty talk going on about our players, and so the referee, the umpire, Blue, gets up and he goes over to them and to the manager and says, "You know, this is enough. We all made a commitment when we started this journey together that we, the number one thing we do would be to have fun and have good sportsmanship. Those were the pledges when you enter Little League: is to play nice, to be fair, and 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 this team is doing neither of them." And the manager said. No, they said those things, and we're just talking about them. And the referee, the umpire said, well, they're on the other side of the field. I don't know how you can hear anything what they're saying. He's like, you need to stop. I'm going ask, to ask you to go home. I was like, from me to Ted away from this conversation. And uh, I was like, okay, so the gauntlet's kind of been thrown down. Now we've got to deal with this. And I think that the Holy Spirit does that in our lives when we have these kind of in our family, in our church conflicts, eventually we've got to, something's got to change. We just can't go on and expect to grow, expect to be unified, expect to come together as a family if we just allow these things to fester, allow them to sit, just allow the distance between us across the sanctuary or across town be the answer for us. And so we get to number four, we have to have a willingness to let go. Now I will, I have to confess that that my blood was on fire until the next morning. I was so worked up by what I saw that it took me until the next day to just feel like I could just breathe peacefully. But I was like, you know what? This guy clearly doesn't seem to be able to let go of what he needs to let go. So how can I help him to feel like we can go forward? And so I was over there, like I said, by his bench. And I turned around to him and I said, man, your pitcher's doing an awesome job. He's like, yeah, that's my son. I was like, oh, really? My son's doing the pitching on our team. And he's like, man, he's so competitive. I love that. And what could have been a chance for me just to pretend that nothing was going on, just to try to escape by all that stuff that was unresolved to be unresolved, I decided to let go of my pride and what I thought seen and heard happen, what I thought was right, and allow the Lord to send me to him and reach out the hand of peace and friendship. And so we spent the next two innings talking about our families and about our kids and about how much we love sports and about how competitive we are and how difficult it is in moments where, I mean, that was the the most hard-fought game of the entire season. We were going to have a winning record if we won and we were going to have a losing record if we lost. I don't know what their record is, and I didn't care. All I knew is our team wanted to win in the worst way. And then you have someone with the equal kind of competitiveness who has no self-control over his emotions, and it was just like this the whole day, the whole evening. It was like, man, we want to win. And I got wrapped up in that too. And the Lord said, what's more important to you, being right or being pure? And so I went up to him, and, and I let go of my version of events. Can I tell you how hard that was? I know what I heard. I know what I saw. I still am convinced of what I heard and what I saw, but you know what, so is he. It's kind of like having an argument about the next presidential election. I don't think that I'm in, and I have my opinions. I put it out on Facebook a few weeks ago. I have no interest in sharing without you in a public way. If you want to know my political views, I'm sorry for you, but you can ask me and I will tell you. But it's not something I'm going to um, talk about on Sunday morning. I'm going to put out there in any way. There's just some things that don't need to be shared in that way. But what do need, does need to be shared is how important your life is to me and how important our lives are to each other. And we can allow divisions, whether it's our opinion of politics, our opinion of sports, or whatever it is, to put walls between us. And the fact of the matter is, Paul says, after all this doctrine of, of what God does for us, after all this teaching about who he wants us to be, after all the ideas that God wants to do in us and cause us to experience in us, we can miss it all if we're so stuck in our own way and opinion. That we lack the awareness of the needs of those around us. I wanted to be right. I, I don't like does anyone here like to admit they're wrong? Guys, we should be used to it, but it just doesn't, it's that's not the way it works. After you say, I'm sorry I was wrong a thousand times, it should be easier. But it's not. It's true in all of our relationships, friends. We want to be right. We want the other one to come to us. We want them to make things right so we can go on. And the fact of the matter is, just like on the baseball diamond on Thursday night, the only way for me to have peace going forward was for me to go and do what God had called me to do in order to make things right with the one who I thought had wronged me. You know, I could have just been smug and say, man, that guy's messed up. Man, he's off his rocker. And and continue to believe that about him even now. But instead, the Lord said, no, you go to him and you tell him, you talked to him about his kid, talked to him about his team, talked to him about what matters to him. And it didn't take but five minutes for me to realize the things that were important to him were all the reasons and justifications for how worked up he got in that moment. doesn't justify it. But I saw a window into who he was. He's like, I took the time to lay down my own stuff in order to see the stuff in someone else. And friends, I think it's probably all of our desire for us to be a church that's unified, joined together as close as people could be joined together. But sometimes we put up the barriers. We formed our opinions. We remember the conversations exactly as they happened, and only our view is right, right? And then we expect the Holy Spirit to be able to work with that. It just doesn't work that way. Jesus said, this is how we do it. Like this. It hurts. It doesn't feel good. People make fun of you sometimes. But everything was changed in that moment. I want to invite us into those moments where we can just say, Lord, I'm your servant. I'm not somebody, this isn't about my rights or my opinion. This is about you and the way other people view you through the way I live my life the way that I serve, the way that I interact with others. And Lord, may others not see me anymore, but see you. I'll close with this. I told, after the game was over, we had, a, we had all the team gather in front because we, we won eight to six. That's all right, it's good to feel like you overcome obstacles and, and fought the hardest game of the season and, and came out on the other side successful. And so all the players are there in front of the fans and we clapped for the parents. The players uh, thank the parents for all their support. And before everyone went away, I just kind of walked up to the fence and I was like, I'm a pastor and I got to preach on unity on Sunday. I don't know if I can do it. <laughs> and hopefully the Lord was able to say something through our experience on Thursday night in your life and mine, all I know is that when the moment of heat comes is where our destiny is drawn from. As a married couple, as siblings, as children and parents, as fellow church members, when you feel the blood coming up to here, that's where we learn what we're made of. And may we be filled with the Spirit as we walk with him. Let's stand and let's close before we go and enjoy a potluck together. Lord, we thank you for your help Uh, on Thursday night. We uh, just pray that you would continue, Lord, to help us when we feel the blood boiling to allow the Spirit to come and settle our hearts and focus our minds, Lord, not being about us and our emotions and our feelings, but being about you and about others and about unity. Because, Lord, you've called us to be here together we think differently. We act differently. Lord, do we look differently? We're different in so many different ways, but yet you call us to be one body together, joined by your Spirit. Draw us closer to you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Before everyone goes,